0: Hello and welcome to the Crystal Archive Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Crystal. In this special episode number 35.5, I proudly present to you, at long last, my interview with Estelle Ellis, the original voice actress of Crystal, among other things. We'll get to the interview in just a few seconds, but before that, here's a couple of things to keep in mind as you listen. First, this interview was delayed multiple times. Both the original recording of the interview and the final editing were delayed due to some miscommunications and site issues. So when you hear us talking about the future of Nintendo and Star Fox, please remember that this interview was recorded on September 17th, 2012. For perspective, that was just prior to the release of the Nintendo Wii U, prior to the public unveiling of the new Super Smash Brothers, and Retro Studios was still rumored to be working on the next Star Fox game. We now know that they were actually working on Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Second, we did this interview over Skype with a huge time delay, with Miss Ellis residing in France and I in California. In addition to the occasional sound quality issues, please forgive my sometimes awkward and slow speech, as I was performing the interview at 3 in the morning and was quite tired. Finally, towards the beginning, you will hear a bit of Miss Ellis's newborn son participating in the interview. Though I was able to edit out most of his interruptions, I had to leave a couple in to retain some of Miss Ellis's important dialogue. With those things in mind, please enjoy the interview. Hello, everybody. My name is Mr. Crystal, and today we have a very special guest for you all. I'd like to introduce to you Estelle Ellis. Hello. Welcome. Uh, Estelle Ellis has graciously volunteered to be interviewed for all of you, and we have lots of questions for her. Some of them were submitted by you guys. We also have one other um, small member here, sort of, <laughs> on the uh, on the podcast, if you want to introduce this person.
1: This is my son, Loic. He's five months old, and he had to participate in the interview, otherwise I think you'd scream the place down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, first of all, um, I'd like to, you to tell us a little bit about your history, where you're from, and uh, what you were doing prior to your work at Rare, and also... Uh, any of your work uh, in the educationally, college-wise?
1: Oh gosh, okay, that's. Well, I'll take you back a long, long way now, because obviously I'm 34 now. Um, well, initially, okay, this is how it all starts, and and people, will, you'll understand. I think if you know anything about rare, I am originally from Bristol, but Twy Cross, Born and bred. Okay, so anybody who knows about Rare knows that uh, Rare started um, right in Twycross. And I went from school right in Cross from the age of about six to 18. And I did my A levels, uh, my GCSEs, and everything. And then I went to university in Birmingham, about half an hour down the road, to study modern languages, um, i.e., French and German with translation studies. And um, I studied there for four years. I did a gap year in France, um, and then I came back and did a masters in European po- politics and translation. My goal in life at the time was—is um, he going to be a problem?
0: Um, <laughs> what, what can I say?
1: You can be honest.
0: <laughs> well, he—he start—he—he suddenly stops making any noise when he hears my my voice. I guess. <laughs>
1: He's very vocal at the minute. Um okay, I'm going to
0: well, we'll try we'll try and go on with
1: Can you edit it?
0: Yes, yes, I can I can edit it. I'm going to edit the whole thing because I have to put myself back in so that we're interleaved with me asking you the questions.
1: Okay, sorry. Um what I might do is I'm going to pop him down and see if he shuts up.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Right. I'm so sorry. Um, it seems to be all right now. I think. I think. Um, right. So basically, back. At, so I did my masters um, up at Aston University, and initially my main goal was to go and work for the EU up in Luxembourg because I wanted to translate. I was really into European politics. Um, I'm half French, so at the time I was specialising in, in a lot of the, the different. Um, it was left wing and right wing politics, anyway, the extremes. And um, and when I came back during the summer, I obviously needed a job. And um, living also in Twycross, it being quite a small village, I knew the stampers. Um, and um, and ultimately, I just sent my CV in and said, look, is there any work going up at Rare, anything like that? I'll do anything. And um, luckily for myself, because from the age of about 10 to 14 or 15, I'd uh, done some drama lessons. And I used to go every weekend. I took drama exams. Um, I did, I got some, several RADA certificates anyway needless to say I got a phone call basically saying they wanted to call me in to see um, how I'd get on doing voiceovers so literally my, my first experience of Rare was to go in to do voiceovers um, for Star Fox Adventures and this was only supposed to be a part time job you know anyway they said we they'd try me out and um, I went into the recording studio and Steve Brandt was there and Ben Cullum My first experience, um, Carol Stamper, bless her, really a legend in her own right, Um, one of my massive icons as a businesswoman, Um, she's definitely up there with with one of the people I aspire to be. Um, And she took me into this recording studio and um, and said, here we go, have a go, speak to Ben and Steve, We'll, we'll try these lines out and see how you get on. So, I think I spent a couple of hours in there with them, um, came back out, and they said they were happy with me. And um, and it kind of went from there, really. Um, and then I think they offered me a job in the September based on um, translating. So, simultaneously, they allowed me to work on Star Fox, so I did a, some voiceovers on that. Um, worked with, obviously, Steve was quite a few of them there. Obviously my key, my key main workers were Ben Cullum and Steve Brandt, so I'd meet up with them, well, whenever they needed and um, and then at the same time I'd work on the Nintendo Game Boy texts to work with Nintendo of Europe to translate all the texting. So it was it was really weird because it was kind of thrown together, there was, no, there was no real role description, but at the time I knew that I'd got um, some text to translate these were my contacts based in Germany for Nintendo. Um, and I would kind of work between the teams for that. And um, and as well, I'd get a phone call from Steve or Ben at any moment in the day saying, oh, can you just come in and read this line for, for Crystal or for Mother Earth Walker and and, and come in and, and do it. So it was kind of pretty much off the cuff. And that's that's how it all worked because um, it wasn't about time efficiency or cost efficiency business or anything like that. It was a case of, right, they, they would just get on with something and suddenly find that if it didn't work, then they'd pull somebody in and get it rectified. Um, so that's that's where I came along, really. Um, and my life pretty much every day revolved around that.
0: Before you go on, um, I wanted to ask these, these people you're talking about, Steve Malpass, Ben, uh, what was his name?
1: Ben Cullum.
0: Yes, and then there was one other person you mentioned.
1: Steve Brand.
0: Uh, yes, so what were their roles?
1: Oh, well, Ben Cullum, he was in charge of all the music. Um, are you familiar with Jamie Cullum? I'm not. Uh, if you Google him, he's massive in England. He's a jazz player and singer. And he, Ben is his brother. And um, I have to say, Ben is exceptionally talented when it comes to the music front. And um, does a lot of songwriting, and I think he does a lot of Jamie's songwriting. If you Google him, he's 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 very big over here in Europe, particularly in England. Um, and uh, Ben used to be in charge of all the music for Star Fox Adventures. He used to do all the recording, used to edit all all of the um, all of the speech and all of the acting and things like that. Steve Brand, like, oh, do you know what? It's going back so long. I can't remember what title it was, but he used to actually write all the scripts and um, um, create, I think he was a lot to do with the storyline and things like that but he was the one that we used to monitor and tell us whether that sounded right whether he needed changing or whether um, you know he, he would amend sort of yeah that kind of side of the, the, the game really um, but they were the two main ones when it came to any any audio work that we've got to do
0: So when you were you were saying you, you started out first of all with a voice acting role for Crystal and Mother Earthwalker and some other characters in Star Fox Adventures as your first um, game role. Yes. But uh, it says on uh, with your credits, you've you've worked with uh, Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Country 2, Saber Wolf and Banjo-Kazooie, among others. Were those first or during the same time?
1: Um, Well, do you know what? The the Donkey stuff. I only worked on some of the text files. I never actually did any voiceovers on that, so I'm not quite sure where that's come from. The voiceovers that I worked on originally um, was Star Fox Adventures, the first one. I did some for Perfect Dark Zero, um, but ultimately, because of the hype and the, the grand scale of the game, I think they actually outsourced the work to um, professional actors. I think, or, or even famous ones. I'm not quite sure what happened with that. Um, I did some voiceovers with "Grab by the Ghoulies. I don't know whether anybody remembers that. That was probably my favourite game out of all of them because it was proper English, British, tongue-in-cheek stuff, um, and that was really good. So I worked on that a lot. Um, and I think, uh, basically, with my credits, I think they kind of mixed a little bit. Up. I think I might have done a tiny bit for "Conquer's Bad Fur Day," the, the, the sequel, um, but Sable Wolf" and things like that. Sable Wolf," I worked on the translation for the French. You see, um, so that's probably where it
0: comes in right i i i knew it wasn't the the voice acting because uh those games or several of those games don't actually have any voice acting you're right so um so you did most of the text translations
1: yes for um saber wolf was my first one donkey kong i think i yeah i think i did it it's taking me back a while i think i probably did a little bit yeah but obviously um the later titles, I think, because when I turned up, I, only, I think I only did it for about two years, I think. And then I kind of moved on. It was, it was again, very strange. Um, and then obviously, Grabbed by the Ghoulies, I didn't do any of the translation because we handed that over. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of a mixture, really. Whatever needed doing, if I could put my hand to it, I would do it.
0: It sounds like it.
1: Yeah, hence all the, the motion capture as well that came along with it, you know, so... I'd have a go at anything pretty much, and if it worked, great, and if it didn't, then we'd you know, outsource it or we'd try and find someone else for it.
0: Interesting. It's very interesting because the uh, the Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Country 2 and all those others came out significantly before Star Fox Adventures. So were these translations for German-speaking countries and other, other European countries, or, or how? what was the translation you were doing?
1: For me, it was only French, but because we would brought it out on the Game Boy Advance, they they were kind of they were they were narrowed down, down games, weren't they? They they were you know people loved them so much on the older consoles that they decided to actually bring them down onto the handheld and
0: uh, oh I see and that's
1: what happened. I mean and and again you know it was it was re- revamping an old story, an old game, and putting it onto the Game Boy. So essentially, everybody was starting from scratch. Um, one of my best friends, Kerry Gunn, she worked a lot on all of the Game Boy Advance graphics um, and she did all the, the Donkey Kong stuff, the Saber Wolf, you know, she was all on those. And um, essentially you are starting from scratch because obviously you're working with a different engine, you're working with a different, a different uh, piece of hardware and, and, you know, so that's kind of where I've, I fell into it. Trying to organise the data that was needed for Nintendo of Europe translation teams because obviously they have specific requirements, and there are specific regulations that you have to stick to. Right. And programmers, designers, artists, and things like that aren't really particularly concerned about stuff like that, or they don't really know about the guidelines that they need to adhere to. Um, so I kind of, you know, manage data. Um, if there are any queries or any information that needed, you know, I had to go and, 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 and liaise in between the team. I mean, I was I was there, you see, so it's so much easier just to get in the lift, go down the stairs and get get into one of the barns and speak to one of the artists or one of the programmers um, and then go back as opposed to spending X amount of time sending emails back and forth and phone calls.
0: Um, you were also the, vo- uh, the motion capture actress for Joanna Dark in Perfect Dark Zero.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was.
0: <laughs> Could you tell us a little something about that experience?
1: Do you know what? I thoroughly enjoyed it. I used to enjoy it because, we, again, everybody, we all used to work as, as a team, but we were all really good friends as well because everybody knew everybody, particularly me. I'm, I'm quite a people person, so I knew pretty much all of the teams, and I knew everybody. Um, and an afternoon with Gary Talbot and Jonathan Mummery, you know, was a day out the office you know yes granted sometimes they'd have to stick me in these you know like this almost like a morph suit and pin um uv balls all over me at all my joints and my hips and everywhere else and get me running around a, a, a pitch black room with infrared lamps everywhere um but again it was an experience and it was good fun and 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 it was funny to see my motion capture my movements my walk my jump my run um on Kevin Bayless's computer and then him sticking, you know, Joanna Darks on me and, you know, and, and everything else. That was really quite funny. But all in all, the experience was, you know, was, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was fun.
0: So Star Fox Adventure was your first voice acting role. Could you tell us a little bit about the experience acting for Star Fox Adventure specifically and other voice acting in general?
1: Um... Well, do you know what? It's the first time that I'd ever been given a, a kind of a script, where I was sat in a studio and they'd give me the headphones and I'd have three lines, and they'd be right. Okay, let's try different voices. How, you know, and it and it is and it was really difficult because obviously, yes, they kind of show you a part of the game. Bearing in mind, everything was still in in development. You know, things the graphics weren't you know full. It was it was all really kind of weird. So you had to kind of get your head round the context of a particular scene um, and also trying to get to know the character as well because it was it was really odd because at, at one point I thought, well, does, does she need to sound American? Does she need to sound foreign? Does she need to sound Eastern European or English? So I suppose it was, it was difficult for me to kind of identify with the character and also because the guys weren't quite sure what they were looking for. So um, that in itself was a learning curve. But ultimately, you know, it, Crystal ended up with an English accent like me and um i don't know i i kind of went down alright and and it seemed like the best thing and and the odd thing is is when that i was speaking her language um a lot of my french was coming out as well which seemed a bit weird but the guys liked it so it worked and and that was it and it was kind of trial and error i mean it wasn't specifically organized there weren't any real you know proper guidelines as in you have to do it this way and you have to sound you know you just sit there and and it was literally let's just try it out and see what works and that's that's kind of how it went with pretty much anything like they got me to say in the studio
0: so when you were doing these uh, these lines were you doing them with uh, with other voice actors typically or was it usually just by yourself
1: always by ourselves because and the problem is again the company couldn't afford to take people out I mean Steve Malpass as an example obviously was Fox Cloud but he had other really important roles in the, in the game it just so happened that he was good at that and they wanted to use his voice so while I was doing this we couldn't have Steve out of the office you know Waiting around doing that just to throw a couple of lines at me, you see. So uh, sometimes they'd show me, or they'd, they'd, they'd make me hear one of his recordings that I would need to work with, that they would in the end put together. Um, that's that's pretty much all that I get. So uh, no, it was, it was always on my own. And then obviously you'd, you'd get Ben or, or Steve, and they were rubbish at lines. You know, try and say, oh, why don't you say it like this? And anyway, it was, but yeah ultimately it was on my own and, and you kind of had to figure out what what was best really and um, in the end I think you know I personally knew when it kind of felt right you know because you do when you do certain lines you realize oh god that was awful it's like that you know and then other times you think yeah I think that kind of works and they all they all agree and then they edit it and then and then it fits in quite nicely so um, it was kind of the line blind leading the blind and, and a trial and error so to speak,
0: you say Steve Malpass was working on other things besides his uh, voice acting roles. What what other things did he do?
1: Oh God, do you know what? I can't remember. But he, he was. I think he was an. I think he was an artist um, as well. So he did quite a few bits. And again, this is coming back to to um, rare wanted to use all of their resources that they currently got there in house. Um, so. Steve at the time was, I think he was a graphic designer, so he did a, did a lot of the features um, on the scenery, I think it was. I think, I, But don't quote me on that, I might be wrong. Um, so any voice acting was secondary, you know, and, and it was the same with Louise Ridgway, who is now Louise Connor, who's, um, I think, the art director there now, uh, still a good friend of mine, and, and she used to pop in, even though she was an, an artist, an animator, they would still rope her in to do voices for, you know, Conker's Bad Fur Day and things like that.
0: That's that's very interesting. I didn't realize that uh, that there was so much of a, a role sharing there at Rare, um, particularly Steve Malpass, who I don't think anyone knew was an artist until now. Although I could very well be wrong on that one.
1: Well, have a look again. There's 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 information that you know. I mean, I'm sure if we dug out. I mean, he's currently he moved from Rare. He's now living in Wales, and he's a photographer. Um, and again just proves you know how people move on and how they kind of move away and things like that how we kind of branch out but yeah definitely and the thing is with Rare is we were all everything was very very private and um, we're all like one massive family and it was really difficult to kind of you know yes there was a, a lot of you know NDA's going on and it was all about you know discretion and it was all secret and it had to be kept under wraps but it was also a case of you know don't say outsiders weren't welcome that's not it but we were all very close-knit so if there was a way that we could cope all of us and get the job done all together then that's how we would do it you know and we wouldn't outsource to anybody that we might not necessarily trust if that makes sense and it made it made for it made for a great team it made for the best team really and it also meant that we all kind of cared about what we did and in those days, that's what it was. Everybody had a passion; they loved it. They got, you know, rightfully rewarded for it, you know. But it was all something that everybody, you know, took pride in, and and it was it was a massive team thing, I think. And that's why, you know, look, if we can do it, we'll find someone. And if and if we can't, as a last measure, we'll get somebody else in from outside. But that never used to happen, you know. They they were happy, and ultimately, the final decisions were always made made by Tim and Chris. You know, if they weren't happy with something, then then we changed it. But There was never one thing that they, you know, that they turned around and said, no, that wasn't good enough or no, that's the wrong choice or, you know, we, we, they were always very supportive in anything that we kind of, you know, put, put together.
0: So you mentioned earlier that, uh, you, you had kind of a, you put a little bit of your French accent and French, uh, speaking into the use of the dino language, the, the fictional language that they put at the beginning of uh, Star Fox adventures for several characters, could you talk about working with a fictional language and and what the process was like?
1: Um, well, do you know what it kind of came about? It was it was a very strange one because obviously there was no like I said there was no there was no set brief on anything like that. Now bearing in mind obviously there was a, a proper pattern for this that that um, that Steve had created, so um, you could actually go back if you were that passionate about it and and create your own you know sentences using the the structures of this this made up language. So of course he just sent me these these lines and um and it'd be a case of you know reading it out and and obviously getting your tongue around these letters and words and things like that. Um Steve had come in with a script and um and there'd be three or four lines he slightly described the scene to me. Um bearing in mind it hadn't even been sort of finished. It was right crystals you know on the back of this massive animal, and um, she drops her spear, and right, she. this is what she says. So this, this is kind of the direction that I used to get. So you'd see this language, and you'd be like, oh, right, okay, so first of all, how would you say it in English, i.e., oh, oh, God, you know, whatever it was that, that needed to come out, and then um, you had to then use that kind of expression to this gobbledygooky weird language that had just been given to you so i sat there and then you know okay once we'd got the intonation right it was a case of right how is she going to sound she you know so of course and you go through everything don't you you, you know you try with well, the eastern european because she was very feline and quite you know attractive so we tried that and obviously i was rubbish at that um and then we did you know sort of another accent and then and then in the end i kind of with everything for me, if I kind of with my German, even though I'm really English, uh, as soon as I start speaking a foreign language, I, I have that French accent to it, and and I, they kind of liked it, and we and we ultimately decided that yeah, let's let's just use that. It's kind of got that French intonation, and and we kind of ran with it. Um, the difficult part for that obviously is depending on what kind of day I was having, and. and because you didn't record everything in one day, it was always a case of three or four lines here and there over the space of several weeks and months. So you had to remember which kind of accent you'd used initially and then you had to remember that and then apply it to everything else as well as getting to grips with each sentence and the kind of the expressions and the acting needed for that. So it was, it was difficult I mean, it was really enjoyable but there were so many things to get right because obviously it was all about consistency. And, um, and as a character, you didn't you didn't want to sound you know French one day and then suddenly, oh, I'm, I'm having a different day today and, and sound slightly Spanish or you know Russian. So so that's that's kind of how we did it. But as it transpires, it worked out quite well. and, and I don't think we had any complaints. Well Tim, Tim and Chris didn't complain anyway, so uh, so we, we were all right with that then.
0: Yes, um, I've spent a significant amount of time uh, listening to the audio, particularly for the fictional language parts. Where uh, where you and other characters are speaking in Dino, for the purposes of trying to make a a, a translator that will that will correctly uh, give you the uh, correct pronunciation in that in that form, and I've noticed in particular that when you're playing as Crystal, um, you uh, roll your Rs, whereas the other characters do not. So I think that might be part of the French uh, hint that you're talking about.
1: <laughs> yes. And that also shows an example of how none of us actually conferred and said, "Right, this is this is the way you actually want to speak the Dino language." I think everybody just went off and did their own thing, and um, and, and there, <laughs> there in itself shows the difference.
0: <laughs> well, it it, it certainly uh, the lines you you came up with uh, and how you delivered them were very good, I would say, even though you were dealing with the difficulty of, of this language that doesn't exist and you've never learned so uh, particularly some of your lines and uh, general scales lines at the very beginning uh, were very uh, very uh, emotionally charged
1: thank you but to be fair again and on a side note because obviously it was it was the, you know the, the ultimate the first scenes of the game you had to get it right um and i think obviously because it i think it was the the first scripts that i'd been given at the time you kept going over and over over and over and over and obviously uh, after time you get used to it and things come a lot easier for you but the importance of the first scene and trying to get to grips with the language you know made for a lot of practicing a lot of scrapping of stuff but um you know ending in the right the 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 right language and the right intonation I suppose so so yeah so I'm glad you approve anyway
0: (laughs) so you said that your your first role was this ed Rare was actually working on Star Fox Adventures. Now, Star Fox Adventures was originally another game, Dinosaur Planet, uh, an N64 game with basically the same story, but it was not a Star Fox game at the time. Um, were you part of the team before, or during, or after that transition, and uh, or do you know anything about that?
1: No idea. As I said, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a gamer. I'm sorry, everybody, but I'm, I'm not an avid gamer. Um, I think I probably would be, but I'm really rubbish at games and that goes for everything, any kind of game. Um, so when I came in, I came in absolutely blind, you know, and obviously I was offered this job. Let's try it out. And I'd got absolutely no idea. You know, um, my friend had got a GameCube and, you know, and, and we kind of had the odd Odd game on there. That was, it. you know. So, so to be fair, I've got absolutely no knowledge of the previous game. I mean, I know that obviously there's there's a there's a cult following. There always has been, and it was always kind of that niche game where there was reason to kind of introduce a a new version or a sequel, um, which is why you know sort of Rare was so excited about the whole thing. Um, I don't think I realised quite what was going on at the time when I was in the thick of it. Um, all of it a bit overwhelming, but also I, I didn't appreciate what I was I was taking part in um, at the time. So no, um, I had no involvement at all with any of the previous.
0: Well, could you tell me uh, a pro- if you can remember what what was the uh, what was the year you were hired at at Rare? I can maybe tell us something.
1: I think it would have been two thousand and two or two thousand and three. <clears throat> I think um, I started university at ninety six. Graduated 2000, then did another one, 2001, so yeah, it would probably have been about 2001 or 2002 is when I would have started.
0: Wow. So you were, you were indeed right at the end of it. Yes. Um, that explains, okay, so that explains some things uh, where we've seen some trailers from the game before it became Star Fox Adventures, and it seemed like maybe the voice for Crystal was a different person, but we weren't sure and now I can say pretty confidently it probably was not you, it was it was someone else. Because you were, that would have been after the transition occurred, 2001,
1: 2002. Yes, that's right.
0: Can you tell me a bit about uh, what your experience was like um, working in the game industry, Rare in particular, and, and, and what your typical day was like, what your co-workers were like?
1: Okay, what a typical day. There was no, and again, that's the beauty of the gaming industry, um... Anybody who works in it, yes, it's it's work really hard, but it's it's play hard as well. And I think because it's such a it's a young industry, and it's you know it's like the movies, isn't it? It's it's, it's not like you're selling radiator caps or you know anything really boring. It's 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 full of really artistic people um, who are exceptionally creative. You know, loads of personality, loads of imagination. So of course, everybody that we worked with, not only did we get on with them really well. But everybody was kind of really special in their own right because um, there was no there was no restraints and, and the theory at rare was yes, you know everybody had to get their heads down, there was no mobile phones, there was no radio there was no you know and, and you started to work at nine you had your one- hour lunch, there was no internet surfing well there wasn't really at the time anyway when I first started but no one was really allowed to do anything like that. It was all about work but it was also about nurturing the talents that these people had got And back in those days I mean you you know, the, the, again I don't think you appreciated that kind of the talented people that you were surrounded by um and and the gifts and the talents they've got I mean most of them now sort of moved on but you know onto bigger and better things and kind of started their own businesses developing games themselves you know or have kind of you know sold up and gone but in those days you know you'd, you'd get to work and you would turn up all at the same time you know and and in those days you know you'd that the ferraris turning up or the porsche or the you know the, the the lotuses and everybody you know would turn up and you could turn up in your tracksuit bottoms and your trainers i a favorite of mine you know jeans and ugg boots and and, and you know there was no dress code you turn up you'd log in at nine o'clock there was a small computer you would put your fob against it and that was it you'd be registered and um not so that people could keep tabs on you or anything like that but obviously it was, it was just a way of ensuring that everybody was in and, and for fire purposes and emergency purposes and things like that. So we all walked in. Sometimes you'd go and get a coffee in the canteen. You know, we had a lovely canteen. The views were amazing from every office. Um, and then everybody got their head down. And for me, I'd go in. I used to I have my desk right opposite Carol Stamper. And um, I used to get on with my um my text files uh, uh, carry on, you know, and, and and then your day kind of varied because depending on what needed to be done, you might get the phone call from Ben saying, can you just come into the recording studios for 10 minutes? I need you to run through this line again. Um, you know, I've done it wrong. I've deleted it. It's rubbish. You need to try again or we've changed the line. So you'd literally get, get up and, and, and run into the, the the studio, you know, and you might see Grant Kirk, Kirk Cope or Robin Beanland, you know, the, the old legends that, that they are and um, and you'd go and do your line with Steve or whoever was in there um, I spent a lot of time with Duncan Botwood as well who again they're all legends you know I can say so many nice things about them I don't I don't have anything bad to say about any of those guys because they were amazing and they were lovely to spend time with as well I was really lucky to work with people that talented and, and that lovely so um, and you'd come back and You'd go um, and have your lunch, or you'd go and make tea for everybody, and um, and then you know nothing specific. You know, you just get on with it. And then at five o'clock, everybody would make a mad dash. You'd all queue up and log out with your pass, and and then all the Ferraris and the Porsches would take off again and and drive home. And then the same would happen again. You know, um, yeah, it was it was great. You know, and and, and twice a year they'd organize a Christmas party. They do bonfire night. I don't know whether you guys are familiar with the 5th of November. And um, it's a case of fireworks, bonfire. But with Rare, you know, they did everything just the same as the games. They would do everything properly. So you'd have a massive bonfire, you'd have a massive marquee, and they'd put a spread on for everybody and loads of drinks. Everything was free. Um, And then at Christmas, you'd have the most amazing christmas parties that you know just balloons everywhere and 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 just free drink free food just live bands i mean you know as you can imagine and that when basically that kind of encapsulates how it was like working there because yes there was an element of routine because yes you know you had to go in at a certain time and you had to go and do your job and things like that but i couldn't possibly describe one day because they were all completely different, you know, and and you spent time with different people and different ideas, and then and then sometimes, you know, Tim Stamper would come over and and he'd have some crazy idea, and he'd say, "Right, Google this. Let's let's see what we could do with this." And and then um, I think I remember pinata. I mean, that's they were thinking about doing a game for that, and Tim came in and, right, your translator. I want this in Spanish. What's this? Try and Google it. Don't tell anyone. And and he'd have this mad idea and. And then it would either transpire later later down the line, or it wouldn't, you know. But anyway, so that's that's kind of... And, and it was exciting, because you never quite knew what was going on. Um, so, yeah, that was, yeah, me reminiscing. Uh,
0: thank you for that. Um uh, we're going to go back a little bit towards the uh, uh, Star Fox specific. And I have a few questions about uh, Crystal, uh, your first role. So... Um, We all want to know how do you feel about uh, Crystal as a character, and if you share any of her traits.
1: Uh, I think it'd be big-headed of me to say yes. I'm a total minx, and um, I do you know what? As a character, when I saw her, I thought, God, I thought she was lovely. I thought she was amazing. And no, I'm not a, a massive actress or anything like that. But I think when you've dealt with drama and you're given something, you know. And and it's up to you to kind of give that character life. I saw her and kind of you know seeing the graphics and the ideas and the the context that I was given in in which she was you know she was in. I kind of thought, yeah, she's she's feisty, she's catty, she's you know she's she's attractive. I think yeah, you can have a bit of fun with this. So in terms of personality traits, I think yes, I'm probably quite feisty and I'd probably <laughs> try and battle a few dinosaurs myself if I was given the chance. But um yeah, I kind of, I, yeah, I'd say. Well, look at it this way. I'd relate to her far more easily than I could the the you know Mother Earth Walker. Put it that way.
0: That's a that's a good response. I'd say. Um, now, Crystal has a rather significant cult following on the internet. Uh, there are several websites about her, uh, and is and you know, she's the frequent subject of artists and write, writers, people writing. Um, Fan fictions and uh, drawing fan art, and also, uh, of course, there's my website, which has been running for some six, almost seven years now. Oh. Uh, devoted just to this secondary character, basically. Uh, does it surprise you that she, as a secondary character, would be so popular? And what's your reaction to her popularity?
1: Um, do you know what? Nothing really surprises me, and I think, do you know what? I think it's, I think it's really nice. Um. And that a character like her has generated so so much attention and such a following um, because, you know, th- there are a lot of people out there who would, you know, obsess about the main characters in Gears of War, you know, and things like that. So I kind of like the idea that there are people out there who, um, y- who are interested and uh, who, you know, who... Who want to follow a character like that? And I and I know who I'd rather follow. But then again, that's that's me, you know. And but the thing is, she's an amazing character, you know. And from the Nintendo days, and, and everybody would admit that Nintendo was always amazing at those kind of titles. And I think if anyone was going to create a title like that, it was going to be Nintendo. And, um, you know, you just look at Mario and, and, you know, and, and all of the characters involved in those kind of titles and they have a massive cult following. So I'm not, I'm not surprised, but I'm, I'm pleased to have been involved in it. And I kind of like to think that I had a tiny bit of that, uh, to do with that. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I think it's lovely.
0: Before we get to some, uh, some different questions, um, you've voiced her and several other characters and, uh, I was wondering if you would, like, take the opportunity here to do some voices for her or any other characters you feel like and possibly some different ac- uh, accents uh, just to show off your vocal talents.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
0: Am I putting you on the spot?
1: Yeah, I didn't sign up for it. No, that's fine. I'm just trying to think. Do you know what? I would, I would. Um. yeah, well, I suppose I, I can't really do anything off the top of my head. I'm just trying to think. It's so long ago since I even did anything to do with Crystal, so I don't know whether I'd be able to replicate her voice now. I suppose if I listen to her again I might. Um,
0: Actually, you know what? Let's just skip that for now. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have put you on the spot like that. We're gonna just... we'll just skip that for now, okay? Okay. So as you're aware, and some of our longtime Crystal Archive readers know, We've been planning to do this interview since sometime December 2007, about five years ago. Yeah. But li- life kept getting in the way. Now, back th- back then, when you first agreed to the interview, everyone was ecstatic, and I, including myself, and I wanted to uh, get the community to submit some questions for you. And uh, here's a few of the questions they submitted. So these are just questions from people... Uh, on various sites mine and and some other Star Fox sites Okay.
1: okay yeah
0: so first question do you have any lines of dialogue that you wished were different or would redo if you were given the chance and any favorite lines
1: i think um coming back to the first scene and again i know obviously everybody you know thought that it was it was apt or it was fine and that everything you know Again, I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I think looking back, going through the the, the game as it was at the time, thinking you could actually tell that um, it it was me trying to get into character first and gradually throughout the game, I think I ease I ease into the character and I feel more comfortable with the language. So, so looking back now, given the opportunity, if someone to say, do you want to have a go at doing it again? I probably would try again. Um, not that maybe people didn't notice, obviously they probably haven't noticed, but for me, I think the first, the first or the opening line, I think I would probably try again um, but then yeah I think everybody would would choose to do something again, wouldn't they really, given the opportunity? One would hope uh,
0: do you now uh, favorite lines i you said that uh, the uh, the getting it just perfectly right, so I assume some of the fir- your favorite lines would have been uh, after that first line when you were having your emotionally filled dialogue with general scales. Would that be fair to say?
1: Yes. And, and in fact, I think, and bearing in mind, obviously, it's been so long. And as I said, because I'm so rubbish at gaming, you can imagine how, how often it, it used to take me to get to the end of the game. I think I've obviously just seen the end properly probably about two or three times. But I do remember... Um, the last line with Fox McLeod, there being that little bit of a flirt and it was an English, it was an English line. And I do actually remember enjoying it because I remember, I think, I think Steve Malpass was there as well. But anyway, it was, it was that swooning kind of, Oh, flirty. Oh, you're my hero kind of thing. And um, I do remember enjoying that. And I think even now, if I was to, if I was to get a link, if someone was to send me a link, please to that, to that line, I, I'd i probably enjoy it. Having said that, I probably would i don't know.
0: i can i can help you out no problem on that one
1: <laughs> brilliant from what i remember i think that was one of my favorite ones because it was just so corny and it was just you know well it, yeah i think uh the, the end to a romance because hey everybody likes a romance even if it isn't a game so
0: right oh it, it you're absolutely right it is very very corny um, I'm sure you'll uh, <laughs> laugh your head off once you see it again.
1: Oh, dear.
0: Okay, um, next question from the fans. Uh, would you like to do the voice of Crystal again? And if so, would you change anything about the performance?
1: Would I, I would do her voice again uh, in a different game. Um, right. Not sure I'd want to do it all over again, if that makes sense.
0: Not the same game.
1: No, I think if they if they brought out a new version, if Rare decided, or well, obviously not Rare now, but if somebody, some developer decided to do it again, I would definitely be interested in doing it. Um, I, I don't think I'd choose to do it again because, obviously, you know, it, it was a success. It was done. It's done and dusted. That's part of, obviously, why people like it so much. I wouldn't want to change that. Um,
0: so you want to move on to new things, yeah? But, but the definitely. same character.
1: Yes, definitely. Okay. She might be a bit older. She might be a little bit stiffer when she gets off her dinosaur. <laughs> but yeah, it'd be quite nice.
0: The next question is uh, is about uh, not specifically about Crystal, but uh, if you're if you were given a chance to voice any character from any series uh, or or act any character, you know, um, in real life, uh, you know, as as yourself as an actor, not just a, a voice actress. Well,
1: yeah.
0: Do you have any character in mind that you would would like to uh, portray?
1: Do you know what? I? And I will openly admit this. When I did the voiceovers for Joanna Dark for Perfect Dark Zero, I actually, I was so excited because I thought, yes, this is brilliant. And to be fair, I'd done the motion capture. So any of the rendered scenes, that was me. And I kind of thought it would be great to put the voice along with, so ultimately it could be me. I'm okay, I don't, I don't look like her, but... Um, so when I started doing it, um I was really excited about it, and I thought, yeah, I could probably get my teeth stuck into this, you know, a bit of James Bond like, you know, the English accent. Uh, I could really see myself getting into that. Unfortunately, obviously, they cho- they chose to, to go down a different route. But out of anything now, Joanna Dart would be the one that I would choose to do a voiceover if I had just choice of one one person over anything at all. It, I think that would be it.
0: Well, I think that. Might also answer our next question, which is if you could be any character with all their powers and abilities, who would you become?
1: Yeah, probably Joanna Dark, really, I think. Um, no, just really, I just don't like Wonder Woman, mind you, my hair, and probably as old as she is now, anyway, but um, no, I can't, I can't see <laughs> wanting to be any other superhero. I'm a mum, and that's a superhero. Does that count?
0: <laughs> it does in my book.
1: Yes, great, good answer. <laughs>
0: Uh, you mentioned that you were not uh, so much of a gamer, but uh, have you played through any of the Star Fox games and uh, and any other sort of games you enjoy? I know you're using an iPad right now. Do you do any gaming on that?
1: No, not really. My five year old is better at it than me. I think. Do you know what? Yes, I really. I. I. I, I used to. I used to game a lot, and, and this will probably tie into probably a conversation you want to have with me later. But I used to really enjoy Tekken, and. Um, This will tie into, obviously, what I'm doing now with my cats with the Street Fighter versus Tekken and everything else. So in those days, I used to really like it. I still quite like it now. I'm rubbish, but I do like the effects of a good Street Fighter versus Tekken game um, when you've had a stressful day (laughs) or, you know, half an hour lunch break and you have a go on your your fight stick. I think that's enjoyable. I am rubbish, I have to say, but... um, i've never i've never been an avid gamer and i think unfortunately the the luxury that i had at rare was that if i needed to go through a game i'd just go and see one of the testers and they within moments you know they they'd get me to wherever it is i needed to be and and also bearing in mind they test the game they'd record it for me so i could just quickly rewind it and 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 get to where it is i wanted to wanted to be so it kind of it's kind of took the fun out of gaming but it it was easy for me to access certain things because I'd got people that were just amazing on games. Why would I waste three hours of my time trying to get somewhere when I could go downstairs and see David Wong, Andy Kimberley, you know, the old crew. And they'd, they'd kind of get me to the stage uh, without a problem at all. And all I'd do is give them a chocolate bar or something, or a cup of tea.
0: <laughs> so you like fighting games then?
1: Yes, <laughs> a little bit feisty. Yes, I, I quite like them, um, particularly in the work that I'm doing now. Uh, Street Fighter in Tekken are, are, are massive for us. Um, and I, I, I go to quite a few of the, the fight club events in London with um, all of the, the the gaming tournament guys. So, uh, yeah, I quite like it. I like everything about the fighting games. Um, that obviously doesn't stem from my experience at Rare, but I think that kind of just comes gradually um, through my teenage years and, and obviously starting to work at my cats.
0: I'm sorry, but it, it sounds like you actually are a gamer. You just uh, You just don't realize it
1: yeah just not a very good one. that's all.
0: <laughs> no one can can blame you for uh for for not having any particular skills. I'm not particularly good at games either, but like you, I love them. Uh, what about star fox specifically have you have you played through adventures at all or or did you just watch the testers go through it?
1: No, I have played through it because obviously you know when when it was my first game that had been published and um with rare. Bless them. They they were so good that every time you had a game that was published, you got a free copy. So they would give you a copy of this game, and um, and of course, you know, you go home and show your friends and family and everything else. So of course, yes, I used I used to play through it. I mean, sometimes, um, and I don't know whether you you know you get this or anybody else in the industry gets this. You know, it's a great excuse to play a computer game. You know, um, sometimes you know my bosses they end up having a go at Pro Evo or FIFA. You know. And, uh, and um, Call of Duty is a massive one at the moment, Obviously we sell headsets for that and um, we have to go through the games and, and test them during our lunch break because it is essential. And um, <laughs> Oh Mr. Crystal, I've forgotten what I was saying, what was your question?
0: It was a question about uh, playing through uh, Star Fox Adventures.
1: Sorry! No. So yes, I have done it in the past. So I Gradually when you get a new game, you do um, you do have to play through it. And I have done it several times. Um, I don't think I've got quite to the end, but yes, um, I've gone through it. And then, you know, well, you know what it's like. Sometimes you'll get somebody else to help you go through it. And then once I can get through it, I'll carry on. So I have done, probably not from start to finish completely on my own. But yes, I have played it.
0: Yeah, that, that last hour or so in Star Fox Adventures is pretty tough. It just jumps up in difficulty right, at, right towards the end. So I don't blame you at all for not getting past that part. Uh, as we were talking earlier, um, and uh, admittedly when we scheduled this interview originally, I was not, it was not the case. But now you and I are both uh, members of the game industry. Kind of a, an exclusive club, um, so to speak. I was wondering if you could tell us your opinion on where you see gaming going as a whole in the future
1: wow i think it's going to still be massive <coughs> excuse me i think it's ever growing um i think it's all going to end up downloadable um and i think it's from from my experience in the last 10 years i think they'll end up being the massive players i e they'll be ea they'll be ubisoft they'll be mgs um, you know, we've already started seeing, you know, the the, the smaller developers and publishers kind of disappear, and, and and I do generally think that you know you will end up having sort of you, you big giants in gaming, and they, they will churn out massive titles along the lines of Giz of War and Call of Duty and things like that, and um, and. I think it's a massive part of everybody's life and I think originally gaming was kind of I'm not saying it was underworld or anything like that but look at the PC side of gaming as well I mean that that essentially has been massive nobody realizes that it was as big as it was Um, it's all been kind of underworld and it's not mainstream and now gradually you're starting to see World of Warcraft and things like that titles are suddenly coming mainstream and um, gaming is becoming a massive Part of people's lives um and you can see that through the recession you know people are still spending their money um but they're spending it more wisely and they're going for the massive titles that we're seeing at the moment um and that will only ultimately feed the you know the giants in the industry um i don't think for one second there's going to be any kind of demise at all or anything like that i think i think it will only just turn into some kind of 3d effect um you know some kind of real time you know um i mean they're already starting to kind of do that anyway but um i think there's a lot left in the gaming industry um yet to be seen definitely and you can see that by the next generation consoles that are coming out Mm. Uh,
0: the next question from the uh, the fans is kind of unrelated but I'll, uh, i'll ask it anyway and it's um what's your favorite musical genres and performers
1: Oh wow. Um oh, do you know what I'm <coughs> excuse me. I'm um I'm a real dance music girl. I love um I love Ibiza. I love anything to do with sort of Head Candy or anything like that. Not quite sure whether anybody's familiar with Head Candy over in the States, but it's it's a massive music title, a bit like Ministry of Sound. Um so that's kind of my mainstream music if I if I sit down and listen to anything it'll be your head candy, um, dance music, which is a bit kind of vanilla, dancey, trancy music. Um, in terms of um, musical artists, I really like Adele um, and um, English bands. I'd probably say, yeah, Coldplay. But again, it kind of depends on what, what mood I'm in. Mean, and I think that that's pretty applies to everybody, doesn't it, really? Right. I'm pretty mainstream, really. I don't have a genre, i.e. rock, heavy metal, grunge or anything like that. I like a bit of drum and bass sometimes, but that, that again, depends on what kind of mood I'm in.
0: Well, dance is a genre, and that's cool that you have that, because I don't see that as pe- people being people's favourite genre very often. It's one of my favourites, so... Good! Good for you.
1: Good taste. <laughs>
0: All right, this is the last question from the uh, fan community. It's kind of an embarrassing one. I I hate to ask it, but I was forced by a long-time Fox Fox McLeod fangirl to ask you this question. Okay, so prepare to groan on this one. Okay. She asks, uh, what was it like working with Steve Malpass, and was he as sexy as Fox McLeod himself? (laughs)
1: Okay, I have to tread very carefully on this question because um, I, I I was very good friends with his girlfriend at the time, <clears throat> and I'll tell you a few a, a quick little story. We we all used to go out, um, and we all used to be friends. Basically, um, at Rare, we were all very quite close knit. Um, my best friend now I know through Mark Betteridge. Um and at the time we were friends with Tanya and Steve. And so, in response to that, it's a Bit weird because I never really saw Steve in that light, but um, he—he's um, Welsh, <laughs> so from an English girl. That uh, well, it's a bit of a statement, but he's Welsh and he had strawberry blonde hair, and um, he had an amazing uh, sense of humour, and I—he I, still has it, probably. Obviously, I don't—I'm not in touch with him as much as I used to be, but he's a very, very funny guy. So. In terms of being sexy, I never really saw him that way, but he would definitely make us laugh. Um, So I suppose that was an element of of attractiveness, I suppose. So probably not what she wanted to hear, but that's what it is.
0: Well, good answer as far as I'm concerned. Well, that covers the questions for the community. Um, So I have a couple more questions for you before we uh, finish up the interview. If I've done my homework correctly and you've mentioned as much during the interview, you've since moved on from rare to work at uh, mad cats europe as a manager
1: yep i am a national account manager
0: so could you tell us what prompted the change to move from rare to uh, another co- company and
1: as you as you mentioned earlier you kind of <clears throat> excuse me you saw there were a lot of changes after microsoft came and acquired um rare And I think at the time, I'd been working there for about three or four years. And you know in your career as you start, um, it wasn't a path that I'd chosen. I'd been thrown into it. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was great. And I I was really fortunate um, to to be given that opportunity. But um, another one arose in the form of sales uh, for Madcats. Now, Madcats originated in Canada, then obviously branched out to San Diego. And they'd got obviously an American affiliate um, office over there but they were looking to branch out into Europe so for me it was an opportunity to actually start um, with a really small team over in Europe to um, basically penetrate the European market and um, it was still in the gaming industry, Um, obviously it was accessories but um, again you know here I was allowed to, to actually sell products. And, and probably be catapulted more into the gaming industry as such, because obviously at Rare you, you're stuck there. You're developing, you don't actually get to see that many people. Whereas with the sales team, I actually managed to um, it was an opportunity to go out and meet other people, i.e., other publishers, um, uh, retailers as well, and you know, and still sell products that were close to my heart and close to the industry that all I'd ever known. And I would kind of decided that that's what I wanted to do, and that's where I needed to be. Uh, um, and I still feel that way now, you know, that the industry is great and I can't, I can't imagine kind of leaving it really, not unless something amazing came up, but so, uh, that's kind of why I decided to, to leave Rare.
0: Could you expand a bit about, uh, the whole transition, uh, shortly after Star Fox Adventures came out, or I think it was actually the day that it came out. Microsoft officially acquired uh, Rare. Can you talk about the transition as being bought and and what and what all was going on during that time?
1: The transition was very odd um, because we knew that that big things were coming because obviously um, we we had the privilege of of Steve Ballmer coming to visit us and um, I think when all this kind of stuff started happening I think we realized that everybody needed to step up their game, i.e. Not as in their talents or anything like that, but, you know, needing to hit deadlines, needing to be more proactive, needing to be, you know, a little bit more driven because obviously Microsoft, you know, you're dealing with a massive giant here who've got different expectations, whereas Nintendo, I think, were were far better at letting us get on with it. Do you know what I mean? So, of course, the work ethic kind of changed and people people began to struggle with that.
0: Thank you for that perspective and I would like to ask, now, um, if you have any tips for aspiring voice actors and actresses or anyone else in, wishing to enter the game industry in general.
1: Okay, aspiring voice actors for the gaming industry, all I'd say is good luck because I think the way games are going now, you're suddenly going to find that they're going to recruit celebrities to do voices, you know, and I, I do remember with the Joanna Dark out of Perfect Dark Zero, they were looking at, recruiting um, some American celebrity to do voiceovers. So I think personally, it's going to get harder and harder to do it, Um, especially for someone like me who had the odd certificate, but I didn't really have, you know, any kind of, um, you know, other qualifications, you know, or any, any experience in that way. I think times have changed too much now. Um, for anyone who wants to get into the gaming industry, again, it's getting more and more competitive and more and more people want to be part of it. So, as you said, you know, if you want it hard enough and badly enough, I think you really need to try. Um, so it's all about the graft, really. The graft? The graft, yeah, the hard work.
0: Ah, English expressions, I apologize.
1: Yes, sorry, grafting to work.
0: (laughs) Got it, got it. Um, all right. And lastly, I'd like to ask a little bit about uh, what's next for you. What's, what do you see your future like? Obviously, you're still working in the game industry and you love it at Madcaps. So do you have any future plans and what are you looking forward to?
1: Um, oh, me, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy at my cuts. I, I love my cuts. I love what I do. And like I said, I love the industry. So if I ever did anything, I think my ultimate job would be to go and work for EA. I think and you know and I'm sure people at my cuts wouldn't mind me saying that I don't I don't I mean, this is not me saying I I would or I'm going to or anything like that I think in 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 my dreams I think I'd like to go and do something for them I mean they're a massive company you know I know a lot of people there and and, and it's and it's good fun but I think I'm not saying I'm I am at where I need to be or where I want to be but um I kind of think that, you know, the, the whole Triton headset thing with Madcats, you know, the Call of Duty licenses and other licenses that Madcats have got, I like to think that in a few years, you know, I'll, I'll be, you know, higher up in the ladder, uh, part of the UK office than I am now. Um, so probably quite boring in terms of aspirations, but, you know, not leaving the industry is probably my main goal, really. But again, you just don't know, and and I'm always open to opportunities and, you know, so that yeah, I think that's me.
0: That's interesting that you say that uh, you would love to work with the A because, <laughs> I mean, that's who I work for. I mean, you're right, absolutely. I agree that there there are few more interesting characters than those people you find working on on games in the game industry.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, with that, um, that's all the questions I have for you. Uh, do you have any questions for me before we end this interview? Or?
1: Yeah, okay. With this whole Crystal thing, and obviously you've hosted this website and there's a cult following. How do you you see, or how does everybody see this cult following for Crystal going? You know, is, is it the kind of Mario thing that you can see throughout the years? Because obviously now we're going to be hitting a generation as we grow older where at some point... There'll be 50, 60, maybe 70-year-olds who'll be, you know, massive Call of Duty fans. You know, will there be the 70-year-old who'll be a massive Star Fox Adventures fan?
0: Obviously, it's not on the same plane, I think, because Call of Duty is a, a mass uh, market thing that everybody, it seems like everybody is playing. Whereas Star Fox Adventures had a very modest, uh, by comparison, um, sell rate for the game. I've had the interesting experience where I've been I've been playing Star Fox games for a long time, and uh, Star Fox Adventures I found recently, rec- just in the last year, um, people will email me and say that Star Fox Adventures was their very first video game, which surprises me because it's <laughs> you know it's ten years and I was playing video games ten years before that, at least.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, uh, I think that. Um, it the the same thing that uh, that attracted us initially to Crystal, uh, is still attracting people today. When it, as as I said, that was their first game, so they 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 still like her. You know, I personally think that uh, Star Fox is a major license of Nintendo, like Mario and Zelda and
1: yes, yes,
0: Metroid. Maybe not quite as big as those the big three, but yeah, I, it they're it's certainly big enough to where they're not gonna kill it anytime soon. Okay. So, uh I hold out a lot of hope that uh that they'll bring it back as a new game, preferably soon on the new Wii U that was just uh
1: Yes, due out November, isn't it?
0: Right. Ooh. Uh and uh, and I personally think it's it's Retro Studios, you know, no one knows what they're working on right now, but uh they've been working in secret for about a year on some game. Yeah. And they said they said, quote, "It's the game that everybody wants us to make."
1: Right, there you go. Hmm.
0: Right, and and you also know that we also know that it's not Zelda from other things they've said. So okay, it's something else.
1: Wow, interesting times.
0: Yeah, the real question, though, I think is, uh, are they going to? This is this this is scary uh, to say, but it's a distinct possibility that they may go back and say adventures didn't happen and start o- start over again. Oh no! What like they did was okay. Star Fox sixty four. Could be. I mean you never know, right? No, of course. But that would effectively be the end of Crystal, unfortunately.
1: Oh dear. Well we'll have to wait and see.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh and there's a there's of course there's the next Smash Brothers game and yes. everybody's hoping that Crystal will be in that.
1: That would be nice. I'd like to see that.
0: And and that's a fighting game, so you yes. probably enjoy that immensely.
1: Yes. <laughs> I think I probably would. I think I'd probably go out and buy that or try and get someone to send me a free copy.
0: (laughs) I wanna thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy day to uh, talk to us, the fans, and and answer our questions. It's been a tremendous pleasure to speak with you, Miss Ellis.
1: Thank you very much, Mr. Crystal, thanks.